Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Colleen. Good evening, everybody. My name is Colleen, and I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, Colleen. Uh, and thank you very much, um, Andrea, Andrea, for asking me. I'm so nervous for some reason, um, for asking me to be of service this evening. Uh, it is really an honor and a privilege uh, to qualify. Uh, I've been absent, um, well, in about three weeks. It'll be 14 years, uh, me willing. Um, my top weight that I know was 311 pounds. I've been maintaining about 160 or so pound weight loss for probably about 12 some odd years now. Yeah. Um, and I do have some pictures going around. Sorry, those who are on the podcast won't see those. But um, it's always amazing to me um, when I stop long enough to just think about what it was like 14 years ago when I wandered into these rooms. And it was right around this time of the year. I remember I'd just come back from a trip in Northeast. Um, and part of what I remember, aside from other things, were like, by the way, they've Dunkin' Donuts back east. They don't, I guess they have them here now. But um, when I first moved out here, they didn't. And that was like one of my sugar go-tos for sure. Um, I definitely have a clear relationship with sugar. I've had it uh, since I can remember. Um, you know, it was the it was the Carvel store at the end of our street. That's an ice cream store, um, and where they rolled the soft serve and the jimmies, which are chocolate sprinkles. Those were like, I remember being like, ah, getting all excited. Um, and, you know, there were some musings I remember growing up, like, don't let Colleen know where the, the regular soda is, because we didn't keep it often, but once I found it, that was it. Um, so it was an easy way to always mainline lots of sugar. So sugar is definitely my go-to, but it didn't stop there. Um, to get to over 300 pounds, I had to uh, eat a lot more than just that. And... You know, it is just a total miracle, as my sponsor would say to me, that, like, every meal I have today ends. <laughs> you know? I mean, really, like, it, it has an ending, you know? Like, it didn't, it didn't really have an ending um, before. I just kind of kept eating. Um, and the moments in between eating were very sparse and probably occupied with me doing something else to distract me from eating. Um, or in self-loathing, and then it got too bad, so I needed to eat to get rid of that feeling. You know, what I want to want to share with you is that this formula of the 12 steps was not something that I was very familiar with at all. I had kind of a peripheral. I think I'd heard about it before, and I, you know, I'd heard about people who were alcoholics, and I didn't really get that um, because, like, I could just leave a drink and not not really bother with it um and you know I wasn't exactly like driving food drunk although you could argue that as it got later on in my disease that's kind of what I was doing as I was falling asleep um behind the wheel from the down core of the of the downside of the sugar high um and you know I didn't like trip over myself and like you know beat people up or anything like that um but I was living a life of such, um, like, walking death, 
that it was just as bad. It just looked different. Um, and when I first came into these rooms um, 14 years ago, I basically... I was so uncomfortable in my body. Like, I didn't come in because I wanted to stop eating compulsively. So, truth be told, that wasn't it. And when you said the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively, I actually didn't think I really qualified. Like, I didn't really think food was a problem. I'm not stupid. I just, like, food was my drug. It was my thing that kept me able to live and get from moment to moment. Um, and it was the com comfort that I had in that. And... So that wasn't the problem. The problem was is that I was fat, you know. And so if we could just get rid of that, you know, if this body would just put itself in line, mind it like as if it has a mind of its own, like it wasn't just responding to the fact that I was stuffing boatloads of pizza and cookie dough in it, like it was going, ah, you know. And I remember once when I was in high school, um, I was in some nutrition group or something like that through my health plan. I didn't really do a lot of dieting because I sucked at it. Like, I just, you know, I'd be like, the night before, I'd be like, it's, it's going to be better, it's going to be better tomorrow, and I got to about 10 a.m., and then I had some kind of sugar, and, you know, it was all downhill from there. But I was a part of this supposed group, although I don't really think I followed, other than to, like, lie about that I did, you know, because, like, we met with these people, and there was some dietitian who was, like, some thin dude. What is that? I really am fascinated by this to say like most people I've met who are dietitians are like people who've never had a weight problem I'm like and you can tell just from looking at them I'm like you know and the way they talk to you and I'm like you don't get it and you think I want to listen to what you have to say like the umpteenth doctor was like well maybe it's your weight problem meanwhile he's got like a beer belly and he goes for a you know, cigar smoke after the appointment and I was like you know, you might want to practice what you preach, you know, but I get it. Like, you're all powerful authority, and apparently you know, and I'm just an idiot here, you know, and um, and I, I really kind of felt like an idiot because it was like it was the one thing in my life I couldn't quite get my hands around, you know. Like, I knew what I was supposed to do. So in this group or whatever, he had said to us one day, and this is when I was in high school, and... Um, and he said something like, you know, just listen to your body. Your body will tell you what you need. <laughs> well, my, the problem was is that my head was so loud. Like, there was no listening to my body, you know. Like, so as far as I understood, my body wanted cookie dough and pizza and cake and donuts and soda and, you know, like, the more of it. And, you know, like, and as long as I can get as much as I need, I don't care what you were doing, you know. So, like, that was the only message I got from my body. And um, by the time, again, that I got to, you know, over 300 pounds, my body was screaming at me, but I was so disconnected at the neck, I wasn't paying attention. Like, I had stopped listening a long, long time ago. And, and that, you know, that piece has been really interesting in my recovery because it's been a slow process of beginning to listen again. Um, and pay attention, not because I need to be a slave to, but because I need to, it's my responsibility to take care of it, you know, um, and, and also keeping the balance that, like, I am not my body, just like I'm not my thoughts, I mean, you know, it's like, there's this whole experience of life that I thought prior to living the 12 steps was all about, like, well, it's the food, and you get to the food, and then you hate the body, and then the more food, and then it was like this, like, thing, and it was never enough. Like, it didn't seem to matter how much. Like, it never stopped. 
And one of the things that I found when I was about six months abstinent, um, my sponsor very gently had suggested maybe I'd try not to have any sugar. Um, and I was like, hmm, all right, maybe I could try it. Like, I didn't, you know, poor woman. Like, I'd be on the phone with her in the morning, and I'm sure I was, like, spinning about stuff, and she's thinking, oh, my God. You know, like, I seriously, when I think people I've had as sponsors over the years, I'm like, wow, I'm so sorry. Um, but they got it, which is why they were on the other line. Apparently, I was helping them, because I know that, you know, my sponsors definitely helped me. Um, just if for nothing else then give me a reason to get out of my own head and to be there as a sounding board for somebody else because what I found in general is that like you know people sort of come to their own understandings when it's time for them to come to them you know I had to get to 300 pounds to be in a place where I was willing to make a change and maybe it's unfortunate that it got to be that painful and it got to be that sad and that depressing but maybe that's just what had to happen you know, and no amount of wishing that I had done it differently sooner. I wasn't ready. I simply wasn't ready. Um, I may have heard the message, but I wasn't ready to let it come in. You know, I was still like, I can do this. I can, I can do this. I can handle this. And um, so what happened was for me, um, so she said, you know, why don't you try not having sugar? And so I said I would try that for like 30 or 40 days or something like that. And the first thing I noticed was that it got really quiet. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, it's not so loud in between my ears. This is kind of nice. And at the end of the time, I had some sugar again, and the spinning started. And I was like, oh, and... For the first time in my life, after pummeling so much of that stuff in my system, I felt what it was like when it was coursing through my body and in my veins, and I felt disgusted. And for that reason, from that point forward, I said, I can't do that anymore. And, you know, that's been an interesting journey, because if, if you had said to me when I came in, like, when well, you're, you know, by the way, you know, several years from now, you're not going to be eating this, you're not going to be eating this, you know, this is alcoholic food, you're not going to be eating this. I would have been like, <laughs> that's really funny. How is that ever going to happen? Oftentimes when a food has been added to my alcoholic foods, it's been this sort of quiet sense of like, we're done. You know, that hurts too much to keep taking that in. So it's time to let it go. And right behind that has been my sense of higher power, which I have many different understandings of right behind me going, it's okay, sweetheart, I got you. I got you. I promise you I got you. You can do this one moment at a time. And sometimes it's been those those things where it was like I had to text my sponsor, like, I'm not going to have this for lunch, you know, and then I didn't have for lunch. So then I text her, I'm not going to have this for dinner. You know, I planned my food out and it wasn't on there, but, like, I needed to tell somebody else because that's what I need. I can't do this on my own. That was really clear. I've been trying to do it on my own for, like, a long time, and I was really failing at it, really failing at it. And I didn't like, I still don't like that I need other people because that feels weak and that feels like, what's the matter with you? And you should just get this. And all these crazy ideas that I have in my head. And I go, well, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing. Gee, why is it that the voice, that the first voice in my head is often negative, shaming, harmful, critical? Like, maybe you need to take a vacation, you know? Like, I've literally done things like imagine the voice in my head had a face and talk back to it. Because sometimes that's what i got to do. Because it just, 
it's like, you just need to take a vacation, sweetheart. Like, go away somewhere, you know? Or, like, I imagine sometimes, because sometimes it doesn't take very long. Like, I wake up in the morning, and there's a little girl with a clipboard at the end of my bed going, okay, you know, you need to take care of this, and yesterday you didn't do this. And I'm like, oh, you need some sleep, sweetheart, you know? And so then the first thing I do is I go into my prayer and meditation time, and I say, God, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, I have this strange sense inside of me that, like, everything's wrong, and I somehow don't think that's the world that you've designed, you know? And I used to think that my higher power had to be something that was going to rescue me. That's what I was looking for my whole life. I need you to rescue me from my family. I need you to rescue me from my father. I need you to rescue me from my body. I need you to rescue me from, like, wanting this food. I need you to swoop in and take me out of it because I can't handle misery. That's really funny, because if you look at my life, I was miserable so much. You think, uh, obviously, I was handling it. You know, like, that really didn't work. But the point for me is, is that I felt like I, I, I reached a different place in my recovery when I no longer needed my higher power to be the thing that rescued me. It simply needed to be the thing that was going to be there and not abandon me when I wanted to abandon me. Because I was really good at that. Like, let's just cut and run. I'm out of here. You know, like, I can't stand you. I don't like the way you look. And I'd love to tell you that, like, you know, 14 years in or whatever, that, like, I don't have any of those thoughts. <laughs> I'd be totally lying, you know. I have days where I'm like, oh, when I look in the mirror. But most days I go, that's one thought. How about another one? You know, like, take a breath. Maybe there's another option here. And that, to me, is probably one of the greatest gifts of abstinence in the world is that pause between the thought and believing it. Or eating it, which is usually what I did. Like, and so in that moment, in those few seconds before I buy into it, that to me is what, what God is. You know, it just says, well, okay, thanks for sharing. You know, and I learned that really on, and that was one of the simple phrases that I, I glommed onto when I first started was, thank you for sharing. And I don't know who it was that said to me, like, because I said something out loud, and they went, thanks for sharing. And I was like, oh, that's funny. I'm like, that's mean, but that's funny. And what I got was that, like, I could say that to myself, so that when my head came up with some brilliant idea, which was really not brilliant, I'd be like, hmm, that's interesting. Thanks for sharing. Next. You know? And so as I progressed through in my recovery and began working the steps, then once I put down my major alcoholic food of sugar, and then consequently there were others after that, um, I began to have some clarity so that I could really get into the steps, because that to me is really where the recovery is, you know, because what I had done and what was buried beneath all that alcoholism and food were the thought patterns and the life patterns and the ways of being that I had developed. And I had become so disgusted and uncomfortable with myself that, like, I needed more and more and more to keep covering that up. It was like I thought I was somehow hiding from myself. But this is a woman who thought she was invisible by being over 300 pounds. So my sense of, like, reality is a little tweaked, you know. And, you know, it says in the in the 12th step that having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. So the interesting thing about it, if I listened to it really closely, it would have told me that I wasn't going to have a spiritual awakening until I finished all 12 steps, at which point I would have been like, well, great. You know, that's going to take forever. I can barely get my head around step one. Um, but I didn't listen that closely because I was still pretty much in a food fog when I first came in. All I know is that you people seem to have something that I didn't have. 
you had a light in your eyes, you had a, a an ease in your walk, and you and you had this determination to keep coming back. And again, somebody who was always looking for like the easy way out, there was no like keep coming back, you know. And y'all were very nice too, you know. Like you're like we're glad you're here. Welcome, welcome by the way to the newcomers, the returnees. Like it's really important that you're here. Thank you for coming, you know. One of the the things that always stands out in my mind that as I move in life living a 12-step way um, is that it became the rule book or, or the pattern for living that I never really got. Like I kind of just wanted through life just doing what I thought I was supposed to do and what I thought you wanted me to do so that you could tell me that I was okay. But when there were enough people that were like not telling me I was okay, and then I just went, F you, I'm going to do whatever I want. And that didn't seem to work either. There was something very simple and very straightforward about, like, well, you just, there's these 12 things that you do on a consistent basis. And I was like, okay. So the fact that I was a very good rule follower was very helpful for me. Um, and so in terms of living the 12 steps at this point, it's like I'm not really sure which one is the one that I could ease up on or let go of because I don't know if that's the one that's going to cause the domino effect that's going to get me back. So I just try and keep doing the best I can every day to the best of my ability. And that means learning to be okay with imperfection, um, learning to be okay with that, you know, life looks nothing like I thought it was going to look 15 years ago, that's for sure. Um, I had all these thoughts of like where I would be at this point in my life and what I would be doing and none of that's happening. So I'm like, okay, so all I really do have is today, and I can just show up and be like, you know, God, where do you want me to go, what do you want me to say, and to whom, how do you want me to be, you know, does this look like what, what it's supposed to look like, you know, uh, are you sure I didn't waste this time, are you sure I'm not doing the wrong thing here, and sometimes I'm not sure, you know, but I just do the best that I can. And part of that is learning what it means to show up in the world and be present and to be visible. And again, at over 300 pounds, I wanted to be invisible, which of course makes no sense at all because um, I was extremely visible. But it was this illusion that I was under that I wasn't. Um, and so that meant learning how to do things like use my voice because no longer was my body the barrier. Like I had to learn how to set boundaries with my voice in a kind way. Um, I stopped um, using food as a boundary or as a way to check out or as a way to um, keep myself quiet because we're all some of the different ways that I use food and so it means being uncomfortable and one of the, the greatest things that I love in the seventh step and it talks about this in the A 12 and 12 it says that um, the process of change is extremely painful <laughs> And again, if I had looked at that really closely when I first started, I would have been like, well, this sounds great. <laughs> um, but I didn't. And um, I had a sponsor early on who always used to say to me, you know, pain, it says there, pain is the emission price of new life. So she said, fight for your right to be uncomfortable. 
So again, the discomfort was the thing that I wanted to run from. The discomfort when I wasn't getting to eat my alcoholic food. The discomfort from feeling like I needed protection around me that I didn't have anymore. Um, the discomfort from like feeling like I maybe said something wrong or did something wrong. And all of a sudden, it didn't mean anymore that I was wrong. It just meant maybe I made a mistake. And... You know, when it talks about in the big book that we have to let go of all our old ideas, that's when I realized that's really where the work is for me because I came through this life and the people who raised me did the best they could with what they had. And there's been a lot of healing for me around that um, because I was really angry um, and I was justified for my anger, you know, and, and the things that they let happen and the things that they did were wrong. And they were, like on a scale of like atrocities, pretty nasty, nasty stuff. But it was the best they had, and their best kind of sucked. But I don't have to hold them hostage to it. I can recognize simply that that doesn't work for me. That's it. It just doesn't work for me. And so maybe that means that I'm not as close to them as I think I should be or want to be. But it does allow me to love them because I've learned to accept them. And the strange thing is that in learning acceptance of myself, it furthers that. You know, there's a gentleness and a kindness that I have learned um, painfully to come to when it comes to me, and somehow that also changes the vision and the eyes through which I see other people. Um, And... You know, a lot of the ideas or sort of the automatic pilot thinking that I had was based on the the soup in which I was raised. And so slowly, as I begin to walk a slightly different path, not a better path, but again, just one that works best for me, um, it means re-examining pretty much every single one of those ideas. And sometimes that's really uncomfortable because it's like trying to yank out a part of, of your heart, you know. But I thought it was this, like, I, you know, and it's like, but I'm looking at it from different eyes. I'm not looking at it from the eyes of a child anymore who's dependent upon believing that for her survival, you know. And that seems to be the continual work. Now, it sounds all very dreary, and I'm very sorry that's not my intention. It's actually kind of fun in some ways, um, because then there's a, an opening there for, like, some different possibilities, you know, like an experimentation about life. And I love, my sponsor said to me a couple times, she goes, well, Colleen, you guys be sort of your own science experiment. Like, try this out. See if it works. See what happens. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, I, I always, like, I thought, like, I need to know. I need to know. I need to. I've got myself in so much trouble by things I thought I knew. You know, and it's funny because in the career that I have, um, I work with people who are applauded and constantly um, acknowledged for all that they know. Um, I mean, I guess most people are in in whatever field they're in, but like to the point where in most cases they're seen as never being wrong. Um, And so they're consistently a mirror for me of my my own thing of, like, how often do I walk into a situation thinking I know what's going to happen or I know what's going to... And I've completely closed myself off to any possibility of what it could be, you know. And so God, for me, is often a sense of, like, well, maybe it'll be different, 
you know, and I love um, in this program they have the set-aside prayer. Like, let me put aside everything I think I know about the situation, about the 12 steps, about God, about life, about what it means to be Colleen, what it means to be a woman, um, and just be open to what it is. And it brings me back to that moment and to that day, and that's always where I find God. Because the moment I'm in, like, tomorrow and, like, 20 minutes from now and what am I going to do and how am I going to handle this? And, you know, like, I'm not even present. I'm in my head, you know. And sometimes it's really fun being in there because I have some crazy ideas about stuff. And it's quite entertaining. You know, I'm like, wow. I remember one time I was at this A meeting and this guy shared that, like, um, you know, we create these scary movies in our mind. I was like, yeah, and I watch mine like they're documentaries. And I'm like, Ugh. Oh, my God, you know, because most of the things that I always thought, like, oh, no, it's going to be like this. It wasn't like that, you know. It was usually not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be because uh, my mind likes to catastrophize, like, you know, because then it's like some sort of big drama or something like that. And then I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, my God, I've lived through that, you know, like, and I never used to think I was a drama queen, you know. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> You know, and, and that's the place I get stuck in when I'm like, I know this is what's going on. This is what's happening. I don't know. I do not know what people are thinking. Because I used to think I had to know because then I could navigate. You know, then, like, I, you weren't going to surprise me and I wasn't going to do anything to disappoint you or whatever. And so it was this huge illusion that I had to wake up to that, like, that's a very child way of thinking that, like, I, I, I know exactly what you're thinking. I, know, I don't know what I'm thinking half the time. How do I know what you're thinking? You know, and I'm not inside your head, and I have no idea what you just went through right before you walked in the door. And, you know, I have no idea. So, like, maybe if I take a breath long enough to let you be, then I can be present with you as you are right now in this moment. And that, to me, again, just like in sponsorship, is one of the best gifts in the world. Like, just the ability to be with someone. Like, I never really had that experience before. Somebody who stays on the other end of the line or gets up in the morning because you're calling. And I'm like, wow, like who really cares enough to do that? That's amazing to me. And I've learned so much about um, what it means to to just be human and that it's okay to be human. And I can, I can do all the things like try and spiritualize my way out of being human. I've never been good at that. Um, I suck at it because it's not supposed to be that way. Like, the idea is not to no longer be human. I'm still here, so obviously that's part of the process. And and at the end of the day, if my head hits the pillow and I'm abstinent and I'm still breathing, then I must have done something right. I couldn't have completely messed it up because I'm just not that powerful. That's the other thing. Like, I thought, well, if I did something wrong, then, like, you know, the earth would open up and, like, every, all these people would die. And, like, no. I remember I worked this job once in college, and this, this lady says to me, um, she had us, um, you know, we were all in charge of these new, fresh, new freshmen and their parents as they were getting familiar with the university. And it was always lots of drama, you know, and keeping the parents separate, and they couldn't register with their students and all this stuff. And, and there were all kinds of different fiascos and things like that would happen. And she would just be like, hey, nobody died. 
And I remember thinking, that's the barometer? Like, well, heck, like, this is going to be a freaking successful summer. I was like, because I'm thinking, who dies at freshman orientation? I mean, like, emotionally, maybe, but, like, I'm hoping, you know, of course, we were in Arizona, maybe it would have been heat stroke or something like that. But but nobody died that summer. So I was like, okay, all right, that's a fairly good barometer. And I still remember to, to this day, because the moment I'm catastrophizing, I'm like, wait, nobody died, you know? Like, and pain isn't going to kill me. Feelings aren't going to kill me. Not eating something isn't going to kill me. These are all things I thought for sure I was going to die from. And that's just it. Like, that's how I so know I'm a compulsive overeater. Because, so I have a weight range I have to stay in. And if I go outside of that, I I eat less food. And I always think I'm going to die. Like, it never fails. Like, oh, I'm not going to be able to handle this. And God's like, yep, sweetheart, you're not. That's why I'm here. I got you. You know, and over and over again, it's like, I got you. I'm not going anywhere. And even, even when I want to push God away and I want nothing to do, they're like, well, this is really ridiculous, and what's this about, and I don't understand this, and you need to start. And I'm very demanding of my higher power. I'm like, you need to start talking because I'm not hearing anything. Like, I'm not seeing anything. I can't feel you. I don't know where you are. And then usually something shifts. And I don't mean it's like, you know, the sky opens up and a dove descends or anything like that, but, like, there's a sense of, like, okay, and you haven't died even from that, you know? And and what it does is it allows God to show up in a completely different way. And, you know, I mean, early on in program, I remember this. Um, there was... Uh, I had, I had something very... I committed to eating or whatever. It was some snack food thing back when I used to eat those things. Because, you know, when you're going down in weight, you can still eat all kinds of things that I don't eat today. But um, I committed, like, um, a snack portion of it or something like that. And they didn't have the snack bag in the store. But they had the regular size bag. And I was like, I knew if I bought that regular size bag that that probably a commitment was not going to stay. <laughs> and um, so I was like, all right, fine. I won't have it. Now, you have to understand that in and of itself is a huge thing. And I'd be like, fine, I'm just not going to have it. Because that's not usually where my head goes. Like, how can I get somebody else to buy it? Or, like, something, right? And... So I was like, all right, God, I'm just, yeah, all right, well, that I'm going to trust that I will be okay. And uh, I got up to the checkout counter or whatever, and amidst the magazines was a snack-sized bag of this thing. And I was like, that's very cool. And so to me, that was God in that moment. You know, now somebody super spiritual might be like, that God's not in a Cheeto bag, sweetheart. Well, but you know what? <laughs> For that day, God was, you know, like, in just that, that synchronicity of events where I was able to keep my commitment and, and didn't have to go without or whatever. And, and again, I wouldn't have died, but I was willing. And that's the other thing that I love about this. And my sponsor reminds me this all the time. She's like, you just have to be willing. You may not actually end up having to do it or experience or whatever, but if you're willing... That's the big key, you know, and um, and I can be honest that I'm, I'm not willing, you know, that's the other thing about just being able to be straightforward, like, I don't like this, um, I'm uncomfortable, I don't want to do this, but I'm willing, and um, yesterday I was at work, and um, I was training this class of, of physicians, and they're an interesting group of people to teach something to not being a physician myself, and um 
there they were there were some that in my mind were just being obnoxious like they just were so blatantly like on the, doing something else like right in front of me and I'm like oh, it's so rude and how dare they and blah 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 you know and my ego was like you know I'm right like that's just mean like that's unprofessional and that's you know like like this has never happened before right but like I was so attached to it and I was just like and I just I, I, I stopped and I just said, God, listen, I don't know how I'm going to let go of this, but like, I don't really want my whole day to be angry because they're acting like they sometimes act. It's their way of being. It's not mine. You know, like, I don't have to be rude because they're acting rude. You know, maybe in their minds it's not rude. I don't know. Like, I didn't grow up with they, where they grew up or what they deal with or whatever. And, and all I know is right now it's blocking my heart. And, and I don't want that anymore. And, you know, I, it just, it, nothing seemed to happen. But I was like, okay, so after like seven hours or whatever, um, one of the other people in the class, this um, one of the physicians, she came up and she was asking me a question about something. The rest of them had left. And, you know, she said, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It was very helpful. And I said, oh, and she said, I don't want to keep you, whatever she said, I don't, you know. And I said, no, 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 I'm pleased, I'm happy to help. Like, you have questions, you're, you, you're here, like, you're paying attention. I couldn't not say that. So, um, and she just kind of laughed, and she said, you know what? She said, don't even mind them. She's like, it's just part of their role. They usually get the underlings to do all their stuff for them, so most of the time they don't really need to know this. And for some reason... Like, when she said that, I was like, um, and it just left, you know? So I didn't have to go downstairs to my coworkers and complain that they, you know, these guys, these fellows were being all whatever uppity and thinking they knew better and all. You know, I didn't have to do that. I just, in that moment, it just let go of me. And there was that freedom and that sense of like, oh, like, wow, this stuff works. (laughs) You know, so I saw God in her, in what she said. You know, one of the things, I feel like I've been saying that all the time, but there's so many things. Um, thank you. I guess the only other thing that I would say, and then I guess I can uh, open it up for questions or something like that, um, is that it works uh, if you work it, and even when it doesn't feel like it's worth it, it's worth it. Um, But I can only do it one day at a time, so I appreciate that you guys are here doing it for this day, because today's the only day that I have. And um, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, so thanks for letting me share. Colleen, were you going to show us uh, your jeans? Oh, yes, thank you. Sorry about that. Yes, so these are my size 24 jeans that were too tight when I first came into the program, but I went and got by a size 26. So, um, yeah, and they're they're full of the lovely accoutrements, like the wearing down in between the thighs. I didn't know that that doesn't happen now. That's amazing. Like, my pants don't. My actually pants actually just get old. Um yeah, so I carry those because my sponsor told me early on, she said, keep a piece of your clothing. She said, because you're ever too tired to work your program, they're waiting for you. <laughs> so I keep them in my car because they have in L.A. I spend all my time in my car. My hardest habit to break? Or make. Make. Hmm, that's an interesting one. Um, 
Um, probably just constantly reminding myself that I don't know what other people are thinking because it was a very unconscious way of being. I just constantly, well, I'm, that must be what they're thinking. Like, the, maybe that's what's going on. Like, and I would come up with story, like, it was realizing it was all a story in my head. It was really what I was thinking. Because especially if it was about what you were thinking about me, <laughs> you're not thinking about me. So it's what I'm thinking about me. So that's probably one of the, the one that I consistently have to remind myself of. Yes. Sure. Um, one of the biggest ones that I had relief from um, was jealousy, um, because I realized that it came from a huge form of insecurity in my idea that I was not enough, um, and it wasn't one that I intentionally, um, like, thought was present for myself, um, but it's just kind of left, and it's. Um, it's been a huge blessing. The other one is fear on certain levels. And this probably sounds really strange. I had this insane fear of bugs. Like, I was fearful of everything. And I don't, I'm not afraid of bugs anymore. And I know it sounds really strange. But what I realized, it was sort of a corrosive thread of, like, fears being my approach to everything. Um, and so that's one that I consistently work on. Because usually, again, it's my catastrophizing in my head. Um... And defects are what I, I refer to uh, as defenses of character. They're usually ways of thinking and being that I developed that worked for a while. They just don't work anymore. Um, so, you know, that one I mentioned about thinking I know what other people think is, is one of them. And, um, like, thinking I need to, and I guess this would be considered, um, like, pride. Oh, pride in reverse. That was a big one for me um, because... I thought by downplaying myself all the time that I was I was being humble, and I, did, I had no idea what humility was. Um, and so learning how to be able to stand up and speak up for myself without um, feeling ashamed has been a really big one and a huge, like, shift in my program. Um, you talked about you knew it was time to add new foods to your uh, line. Okay, so you're asking, like, how did I know that there were certain foods that, uh, that I realized they were alcoholic and I was still eating them and stuff like that? Um, it, it, it honestly, it changed, it was different with each one. So one of them was, uh, I used to eat deep fried flour tortilla shells because, you know, those taco salads, right? Those are healthy. Um, and I remember I'd had one or something and I used to, you know, I planned around it so like calorically I could eat it, and, you know, because this was while I was losing weight. And um, I realized after eating it when the t- last time I did that it didn't feel very good. And I didn't like having that feeling. Like it felt like I was hurting myself by eating it. Um, another one that I had was, um, I used to chew a lot of sugarless gum in my first several years of program, and I, I'm, as far as I'm convinced, I, I, that was just something I needed to do. But then it got to the point where it was compulsive, like I knew exactly how long the, the gum was going to last, and like I had packs, and I would drive around all the 99 cent stores to get the pack. I mean, it was just insane. Um, and... This was a beautiful experience. My sponsor had said to me, was, I had gotten a new sponsor, and she asked me about it. And I had written, like, 12 steps on it, and I had prayed about it, and I talked to my sponsor. I had been writing on it for years, and I had all this shame around it and all this stuff. And then finally I, 
was like um, committing or reporting how much I was chewing so at least somebody else knew what was going on. And that seems to often be the first step, is when somebody else is aware of it. It's not me just trying to do it on my own. Because I always think, well, I'll talk to you after I've taken care of this. <laughs> it never works that way. Anyway, she had said to me, could you not chew it during a meeting? And I was like, she's like, you know, you have a fellow and friend in program, and just, you know, if you find, like, you're getting more emotional during the meeting, you know, like, just let them know, like, you might need to grab their hand or something like that. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And at the time, I was going to about five meetings a week. And I remember, so this was, like, on a Monday. And, and so she had, we had agreed to just one meeting during that, that time, one of those five meetings I would do it. So it went so well after the first one. I didn't die. Um, and I said, okay, well, for the, the rest of my meetings this week, I won't chew any gum during the meeting. And she said, okay. And it came to Sunday afternoon, and I'd already been to, like, five meetings or whatever, and I was looking online, and I was like, oh, there's a meeting at such and such time. I can go, and then I don't have to chew any gum. And I went, whoa. Well, like, I was like, wait a minute. I don't have to? And I realized that I wanted to not. And that's when I got the sense my higher power of like just it's okay sweetheart it's time and it was extremely uncomfortable and I was more present in my body over those next few months and I had to be texting and saying I'm not going to chew any between breakfast and lunch I'm not you know and I had to be doing that kind of thing for that particular and probably because so much of that stuff was in my system because it was sugarless gum so it wasn't it didn't give me the same kind of high or sugar did um, but it obviously was doing something in my system. So that was my experience with that one. So that eventually went on to my abstinence. Because, by the way, it was fruity and bubble gum. And then, like, a couple years later, after not chewing any of that stuff, like, I found myself doing the same thing with mint gum. And gosh darn it. Then, that, then I finally just put the whole thing on my abstinence. It was like, okay, so I don't chew any gum for the rest of my life. I mean, one day at a time. I'm good. You know. Yes. Yeah, it is kind of a long question. Um, can I answer it, or do we? We are running out of time. Okay. Okay. Yeah, quickly. Sure. Um, people have a lot of really interesting opinions when you lose lots of weight, and some people have no qualms at all about uh, telling you what they think about it, um, and it brings up a lot of their own insecurities. Interestingly enough, so um, I had to learn really quickly that what other people thought about my body didn't matter. Um, it was their business, not mine. Um, and it really was just about continuing to do my own work about where I was supposed to be and, and not harm that relationship with me, if that makes any sense. So, all right. Thank you.